I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello everybody and welcome along to Rugby Weekly here in the 42. I'm Andy Call and you might know me from some podcasts such as This Is Not A Rugby Podcast and I can't believe it's not rugby but thankfully for you I'm joined by a true expert of rugby. It's the 42's own Murray Kinsler. Murray, how are you getting on? Well, I'm not sure about um, expert but thanks very much. It's good to have you on the pod. Good to have your, your debut um, and I think you're underselling yourself there. I know you have a bit of rugby knowledge. Well, look, I've been producing the Rugby Weekly Extra podcast in the member section for a while now, and I've decided that I want to step into the Joey Carberry role, so I'm going to be replacing Johnny Sexton, <laughs> aka Gavin Casey, but some people after this podcast might decide I'm better off in a different position, aka back in the producer's box. So that's the analogy I'll use <laughs> well, for I'm- what I'm doing. Yeah, I know Gav is worried because he was sending messages already and I guarantee he's listening even though he's supposed to be on a, a weekend off, I think. Um, so yeah, you haven't worried in his in his big sho- shoes anyway. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see how I get on. Um, on today's podcast, we're going to be bringing you some of the best bits from this week's Monday uh, Rugby Weekly Extra podcast as well as running through some listener questions. A couple of big fixtures as well uh, today, this weekend, Murray in the URC. Leinster taking on Ulster, Connacht against Benetton and uh, tonight Munster are at Edinburgh. So we'll touch on them briefly later on the podcast. Which of them are you going to? I'm down in Galway for Connacht Benetton. Haven't been down for a good while now. Um, so looking forward to getting my boots on I think that still applies that rule where you have to wear if you're working on the sideline you have to wear your boots because the, the pitch is in such pristine condition so better give them a, a polish up again and a big important match for, for Connacht obviously it's more out of the limelight I think but it's a really important one for them they obviously had a tough start to the season they're still trying to pick up a, a few wins and last weekend in Tone Park really set them back so I am looking forward to that one at least the weather seems to be holding up. I'm now I'm in the northwest of Donegal. I don't know how that will compare to further down the country, but I, I presume this time of year sort of suits Connacht. Yeah, it's grand in Dublin here as well. But like honestly, you don't know what you're going to be hit by when you get across to to Galway. The wind can come in. It can be sunny one second and then a massive torrential downpour the the next. So I think actually trying to look at your weather app is a bit of a waste of time in Galway. Just leave it in the lap of the gods. Yeah, it's own little uh, mini climate down there. Look, we'll we'll kick into some of the listener questions, some great ones coming in on the WhatsApp uh, over the last number of days. The first question we're going to touch on is from Colin O'Donoghue, who is asking about Wayne Pivock. So he's asking, if Pivock is given the boot, should Leinster look to bring him in as the replacement for Stuart Lancaster? It's a very interesting one here, Murray. Mm, something I hadn't really considered, to be honest. And there was another shout for that in the members' WhatsApp uh, as well. So I think maybe some of the Leinster fans are, are getting an idea around this. Um, he obviously has a, a really good background as an attacking-minded coach with, with Scarlets in particular when they won that Pro 14 title and Ty Byrne was so instrumental. And that was his his philosophy. My in, immediate hesitation here is that he's now been the, the top guy at Scarlet's and with Wales he likes to be in that managerial role I don't think he's as hands-on as a Stuart Lancaster um, from from all that I hear he's obviously had Stephen Jones as his attack coach in Scarlet's and in Wales actually coaching that stuff on the pitch it's his philosophy his um, identity around the team but the the role in Leinster that Lancaster does is, is very much on the pitch at all times running everything um, I, I don't think Pivac I don't think Pivac would be comfortable either being you know the the second in command to, to Leo Cullen I don't think Leo Cullen would be really comfortable with 
bringing a guy like that in either. Um, so my initial sense is that this probably isn't a great fit, but that's not at all to, to dismiss the suggestion because that Scarlet side did play some some brilliant rugby. Coaches can pivot and change. And sometimes, as we saw with Lancaster, actually taking a step back in responsibility works out very, very well. Um, so it will be an interesting one to to see where he goes next indeed if he's if he's not kept on in the, in the Wales job because obviously the pressure continues to mount there we're still waiting on these reviews that we spoke about on the Monday pod for both Pivak and for Eddie Jones but um, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting one and I don't know if, if you think it's a, a better suggestion than, than I do maybe well I think what's interesting about it is that I suppose if he does come in if it did happen it would be the second sort of I don't want to call Wimpivak a failure, but in terms of what he's done with Wales, he's coming off probably not the brightest part of his career. And it was a similar enough thing with Stuart Lancaster. It was almost like a, a second chance for, for Stuart Lancaster to rebuild his reputation in, in the in the biggest stage of cl- club rugby, at least. And um, One thing that I, I do think is going to be very interesting is how Leinster cope after Stuart Lancaster, because what he's built there is probably beyond the pitch in terms of the leadership qualities and what he always talks about and in building characters within the dressing room. I don't know what you think, but do you think that the culture is embedded enough now that post-Lancaster, the players do have that uh, sort of self-ownership of this team that they will be able to push on? Or do you think there will be a, a sort of a, a, a period after Lancaster where there might be a little bit of a lull? Yeah, I think there's a kind of shift in, in Leinster slightly. Obviously, behind the scenes, there's a new CEO and Shane Nolan is now in situ. Mick Dawson has handed over the reins. Apparently, the first presentation he gave Shane Nolan to, to Leinster was incredibly impressive. The, the players were blown away from from what I heard by his... He's very different to Mick Dawson. He's, he's come from Google. He's got a different background. So he's going to drive commercially and, and that kind of side of Leinster. Um, and on the pitch, it is going to change because Stuart Lancaster is gone you you don't want to try and replicate exactly what someone else brought obviously Johnny Sexton is coming towards the end of his career and he's a massive driver of it as well so um, I don't necessarily think it's a, a bad thing that things will shift others like Ringrose and Ryan and those kind of guys who've become more vocal in the last few years will, will drive it on and the new senior coach or attack coach or whoever it might be will, will bring their own part of it to the identity and again like I've increasingly heard great reports about Andrew Goodman who's there as the attack coach kind of first phase attack set piece strikes that Felipe Contepomi was doing but he's doing really impressive work and the players have um, really appreciated what he's brought to the mix so I think still that he's a good candidate potentially to, to replace Lancaster but it's it's going to be really interesting to see all these moving parts even in test rugby as well potentially we don't know that anyone has been moved on yet someone else was on um, in the members WhatsApp group it was Khan actually saying if Gatlin comes in they should do a documentary from now to the World Cup chasing the sun style, which would be amazing. And it was interesting because we were chatting about Razzie on the, the Monday pod, you know, Eddie Jones, Pivak, Razzie in a very different light. Razzie's going nowhere, but it was interesting how he ended up kind of on top at the end of an autumn window that was extremely difficult. I don't know if people actually watched his live stream on Vimeo the other night. I found it really tough to follow. Certainly seemed to lack the kind of clarity that we saw in, in chasing the sun, but both myself and Bernard and Gavin on Monday, we felt that Razzie almost ended up coming out on top of that battle with World Rugby. So let's listen to a, a bit of a clip from there. Yeah, and look, he's won. As you said, he he won. Okay, he got banned for two weeks, but he's won because, well, the tone I got from that statement was they're going to actually readdress how 
the whole mm. coach referee interaction and that's what as he wanted that's what all coaches want to be fair and and uh, like other coaches have been critical of the the process you know and that, that's Razzie's obviously taken it a, a step way too far on, on numerous occasions but um he he probably justifies it now saying look at him after getting the process changed or will be changed um without too much um punishment like the two-week ban obviously wasn't ideal but it's two weeks it's over now you know um so like the game is so hard to referee at the moment it's next to impossible um and i just think to keep coaches on side and players on side um that process needs to be a little bit better and, and hopefully now it will be you know i think mm-hmm. players accept that there's going to be a lot of things missed or errors because it's so fast but um there was dissatisfaction with the process across the board across the board that wasn't just Razzie Razzie obviously took it to a, a new level but um, I'm not sure what they're going to do better or how it can be fixed mm-hmm. um, you're never going to keep everybody happy but um, I think international coaches at a start and then obviously that'll drift down to the URC Super Rugby etc um, will be happy to see it being looked at in terms of how they communicate mm-hmm. and hopefully needs a more consistent referee Razzie wins again like and and people were thinking, oh, this guy's lost the plot completely. Yeah. He's gone completely off the, the walls. But he got the outcome he wanted. And even the controversy was at the perfect time for him because they just lost to Ireland yeah. and and around, you know, the the France game, etc. And that's when it was at its height. And then things calmed down and they got their best performance. So, yeah, he really, is, he really is a mastermind yeah. in terms of these things. You think, oh, what, this is a bit left field or a bit off the wall, but actually it was really strategic. Yeah. Well, we say on the pod, or we have done, that maybe he took it a step too far on occasion. But Birch, like coaches in your WhatsApp group say, but coaches around the world must love this guy. I'd say that he's like fucking Che Guevara to them, is he? <laughs> no, I, I look at that. No, I think, I, to be honest, the coaches I've interacted with would would have said, actually a lot of, to be honest, there was a lot of people worried about about him and where like where his mind was. And, and you know, because it was so extreme, um, you know, it was so extreme. But as as Murray said, and I, I think I feared he was going to get a massive ban. And I, I wasn't sure. I, I thought the way he was wording the tweets, he'd had legal advice that hmm. maybe he couldn't be got. You know what I mean? Uh, but obviously we knew the, in the, end, the innuendo that he was, um, he, he was trying to, uh, to get across. But, um, no, I haven't heard people saying like he's our hero or anything like that. No, okay. uh, to be honest, we don't. The coaches don't. Um, it's hard to get praise out of coaches for another coach. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, they're always. It's more find his weakness rather than uh, his weakness or any other coach's weakness. But look at um, there is a general frustration with, as I said, with the with the refereeing and. But there has to be a, it has to be a right and wrong way. I mean, what I saw, I don't know if you saw this, but Wayne Barnes. You know, was supposed to go on a pitch at half time, or there's supposed to be something for him and his family, and they pulled it because they were afraid of the reaction in the crowd. And like that's, if that's if if Razzie has led to that kind of, I don't know, saying he's led to it, but if he's been played a role in that in this massive divide between referees and fans and stuff, like that's uh, uh, that's shameful. You know what I mean? I, I think that's terrible. I think that's, that's shocking. So look at hopefully this is the worst. We've got to the worst point ever. And now we just actually start to recreate decent respect uh, for. And I've been in trouble. Look, I got banned for criticizing referee before as well. So I'm not no angel, but um, I do think it has to be it has, it has to rebuild from now on. And and like he has, I think he has taken reputational damage in a huge way here. And I think South African rugby in general, there's a more of a negative look at it or perspective on it. Even I, I, I was speaking to someone from South Africa, they said 
the mood within South African rugby amongst coaches there was that he needs to stop this yeah. now. It's really damaging all of us. No one's going to look in South African rugby in a, in a positive light after this. And as you say, the, the abuse or we don't know for a fact whether that whatever he said led to that and maybe that would have happened anyway but it doesn't it does would seem like a massive coincidence if that was the case that's just horrific and so wrong and we don't want any of that in the game we don't want people thinking that referees shouldn't be respected and it does seem like he's diminishing that line in a, in a big way so all that stuff is really negative Gav but if I look at it from his perspective I doubt he cares very much about that all he cares about is his team being left in the best position and to be honest he probably even welcomes the 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 siege mentality that it has created that everyone's out to get us clearly his players I think are buying into that they trust every single thing that man says and they will fight to him to, till the death as well so yeah he, he's he's cost himself reputational um you know, he's done damage in that sense, but he's got the outcome he wanted. Yeah, the the interesting thing about Rassi is that it all seems too good to be true in what I've read from the reaction to what he's doing. I think a lot of people think that this is part of a, a master plan that Rassi Erasmus has in sort of leaning world rugby towards maybe second guessing themselves enough when it comes to the World Cup and South Africa and the decisions that are made during their game. But I don't know, I think that's giving him too much credit here, Murray. I, I think he's just being a little bit loose with his social media. Mm. I have to say, I think he's a strategic guy. I really do. And just as we discussed there, like the outcome he gets here, in my opinion, is exactly what he wanted. It's a it's a conciliatory tone from from world rugby as, as i mentioned so yeah it's it's interesting how things work out and sometimes we maybe give undue credit where nothing was planned but they get a good outcome but that's maybe a little bit of sport yeah i mean how big of an impact can this have on the field do you think it actually will impact the way referees adjudicate south african games and that will be in the back of their mind because I, I guess one thing that sort of all world sport is having an issue with now is the growth of technology within referees and you spoke about that on Wednesday's pod with, with Owen Tulin and the impact of, of fans and, and, and what they can do to sort of the unconscious bias of referees on the field. Is that what you think the long game is here for Razi? Is that it's not so much world rugby it's more the on the field referees where he's just trying to put that little bit of doubt in their mind that every bit of um sort of every, everything that they've done on the pitch will be then dissected by the head of rugby in south africa straight after the game and if they make a mistake then the world will see it immediately yeah i think he he wants change to the I suppose the formal nature of things behind the scenes and the feedback he's getting and how prompt that is he's been vocal about that in terms of on the pitch yeah I think it in his mind probably helps to build a perception that everyone's out to get the box and it seems like his squad have kind of grasped that from him and that there's yeah us against the world kind of mentality which is useful when you're coming into a world cup and you're you're trying to build up momentum and and have a you know a strong mindset that kind of position is a is a strong one to to work from so it'll be fascinating to see mm -hmm. how it works out obviously some referees are going to be hesitant and concerned about refing the, the box a bit more now but there are a lot of strong characters in refereeing as well and and they'll see it as a challenge they want to rise to so watch this space so yourself and Owen Tullin on Wednesday's pod you yes, were trying to fix rugby 
Yeah, we were. <clears throat> we got some good suggestions from people. It's a back. big job. It is, it is. Um, listen, I think World Rugby themselves have been talking about this a lot and, and had a meeting as we discussed um, last week about the shape of the game. And we discussed some of the possible measures between now and the World Cup that could be brought in to, to improve the spectacle and improve the product. We got some good suggestions back from some of our members. Richard Walsh, he emailed us. He said, how about getting rid of conversions? All tries are just worth seven points. Keep penalty goals, drop goals. And um, we had another message about that from one of our members in the WhatsApp group. Um, I can't find the message here now. I think, we, oh, Shane Murray, he says, potential law tweak, all conversions to be drop goals from the 22 line in front of the post, no matter where the try is scored. So interesting that two people have a similar-ish suggestion there. I actually like the conversions. I know it takes a while, but I think a touchline conversion under pressure potentially decisive in a game is thrilling and absorbing to watch and it's also an incredible bit of skill technically Mm -hmm. mentally in terms of just getting your composure uh, and nailing it I know Ross Burns recent one was a, a penalty but you know you've had many examples of conversions like that and I think it'd be such a shame to lose that aspect from the game it's an individual skill I know and not every player can do it but I really think it's it's a class part of this spectacle so I'd be in favour of keeping the conversions maybe speeding them up a little bit as as we discussed with Owen you know there's 90 seconds at the moment um, and obviously you've got to score a try clear all the bodies make sure everything's okay but you could speed that up a little bit or make sure that it's 90 seconds every time with the, the shot clock but uh, interesting to see a couple of people are, are done with conversions and yeah I couldn't I couldn't agree get on board with that I think it's it, the fact that it is specialised is what makes it so special is that you have these players who mentally are able to do this as well as being you know it's not it's not like NFL where you just have these specialised kickers who come onto the pitch to kick the ball these guys are also taking ca- tackles they're running they're, they're an integral part of the game throughout and then they have have this extra added bit of baggage on them that they have to nail this kick as well so I definitely wouldn't be getting rid of conversions I think what you guys spoke about especially with the TMO and the replays and the uh, keeping the the fans in the stadium informed with what's actually going on is a more important part of it because technology is such a huge part of every sport now and we're seeing the chaos that is causing at the World Cup with the semi-automated stuff. Like, I, I just think the more that we can take the game back to what it was before all this as much as possible, uh, while also keeping the player welfare thing at bay, that's probably where you're going to get... It's finding the balance between that. That's where you're, you're, mm. you're going to get a little bit more uh, enjoyment out of the game. And I think what what you guys spoke about, especially the amount, the, uh, amount of money that they're paying, I saw... There were tickets up for, uh, I think it might have been an, a Glasgow game or a, a Scotland game anyway, and they were £88 to go to. I mean, that that's an absolutely extortionate amount of money to be forking out to go see these games and then not know what's going on on the pitch. Mm. Yeah, it is a, a big issue, the, the cost, and, and it excludes some people who probably want to get into rugby but just can't afford to, to go. I have to say, around the product, I should have mentioned on Wednesday, Like, I think the product is is largely very good. And you mentioned what we had before. If if you go back and watch rugby from eras gone by, it's it's almost comical, honestly. Like it's an awful thing to watch if you have to watch the full game, not just a highlight of of a legendary player like scoring a brilliant try. 
in between it was really tough to watch there's constant knock-ons there's low, very low ball in play time there's so many scrums so we're definitely in a, a better place definitely there's issues that have come with that but I think we're talking about subtle tweaks here and, and so let's have a let's have a listen to some of the things myself and Owen talked about one of them was around the the number of placements and, and as Owen mentions here trying to get people who are really really tired on the pitch again in around trying to create a bit more fatigue I think the bomb squad has been highly touted how South Africa have leveraged that successfully I'd like to retain the eight subs but only have the ability to make five changes um, again getting more tired players on the pitch for longer potentially delaying when you bring on those subs so rather than making wholesale changes at half time for example you've got to wait a little bit longer maybe 60 minutes in then you look to make changes and once you've used those five changes then if a player is injured he comes off and he can't be replaced and you're, you're dropping down a number so again having to delay the coaches to make those tactical changes obviously any injury immediate change but the tactical changes happen later in the game and hopefully opens up more space on the field given there's more fatigued players out there because yeah i guess the original purpose of replacements was for for injured players and i I, there is an element of intrigue i think with tactical changes I, i think it's it is a fascinating part of the game when a different profile type of player is sent out there you see villy larue even come in with the box a few times and it changes the game what he can do so that is an intriguing part of it but you're right to put more onus again on the coaches to make those decisions really wisely I think is a, is a positive and it only magnifies that intrigue aspect of okay he's using these changes now he doesn't have as he or she doesn't have as many of them to to implement into the game so that would be a, a fascinating one and yeah I, I agree on that the, the fatigue created by fewer replacements would be would be a positive obviously you've got to make sure that injuries are always accounted for and there's a exemption maybe there when when clearly the independent docker whoever can see that there is genuinely an injury and you don't want to put teams into the position again where they're trying to um manufacture injuries or use blood capsules or whatever it might be but uh that'll be a, a positive one you also mentioned um I know you pinged me on a few. You mentioned around the communication on the pitch, something that has, in fairness, you have repeatedly flagged this, the, the, the frustration over this. Yeah, obviously, teams take advantage of this. There's a reason why water boys are mic'd up. There's a reason why now teams are moving to use uh, non-playing members as water carriers to deliver tactical messages. I found it so frustrating at the World Cup in 19 that pretty much after every passage of play there was a break in play with physios running onto the pitch with water bottles I just think we need to find a way and other sports do it some sports have no technology on touchline no comms whatsoever in the AFL there's only a telephone up to the the coach's box it's still really old school I think if we can find a way where yes physios are allowed to enter the the field for injury they're not mic'd up to the box they're mic'd up to the team doctor to i guess relay um comms around injury profiles we need to move away from the volume of water carriers that are coming onto the field to deliver tactical messages again the balance here is player welfare looking after players that are injured i think if physios are mic'd up to a team doctor and then there's a message relayed from team doctor to to the coach's box around status of it, players, injuries, etc. I think something like that could really work because no doubt 
the game has been compromised by coaches using physios and water carriers to get onto the field to deliver tactical messages and influence the pace of the game. We need to negate that influence. Just let the players play. Let the players <laughs> let play. Let make decisions and, and play and, and it's a better product. And if there is more of a looseness to it, well, that, that's a good one. You also had one around the, the breakdown, which is such a consistent talking point at these kind of meetings as well. We are nine months away from World Cup. So as I said, you can't imagine anything drastic, but you've spoken about this before. Tackle no jackal. Explain to anyone who hasn't heard you discuss it. Yeah, I think there's a big emphasis on doubles from a defensive perspective. So two tacklers on one ball carrier, uh, obviously to create a, a higher velocity collision, win the game line. And then one of those tacklers then jackling for a possession and this is the, the really tough decision for referees is understanding particularly with the assist tackler if there's daylight post contact when going to that jackal position it's you're talking milliseconds it's almost impossible to referee and i think if we opened it up to anyone involved in the tackle can't jackal for possession yes they can contest for possession through a counter rook um i think that would create one-on-one more one-on-one contacts where teams will place an emphasis on okay one tackler one jackler but obviously the jackler is not involved in that tackle hopefully would free up more of those head collisions because a lot of these head collisions tend to come from the assist tackle with that late late change of motion from the the primary tackler and the ball carrier being kind of uh, shifted into that assist tackle's shoulder yeah, so that's from Wednesday's pod with yourself and Owen Tulin. If anybody wants to get those pods, members.the42.ie is the best place to go. If you want to sign up, you get a Monday pod and a Wednesday pod as well as Murray's newsletter as well. And that sort of brings us in nicely to a question that came in to the WhatsApp group from Niall, who is an expat in Australia. And he is asking, what can Irish provinces do to unearth more athletes? One thing that struck with, struck with him uh, during the autumn internationals during watching New Zealand, Australia, South Africa is that the profile of their players is so much more athletic than ours and he asks are we putting too much emphasis on game IP? Leinster are churning out smart players with a low ceiling so that's a very interesting question Murray because that's something that Ireland has has to de- had to deal with across multiple sports and rugby for me is one of those sports that you definitely need athletes as well as smart players yeah a fascinating one great to hear from our our irish abroad members always as well it's great when you hear we're listening to around the world a little bit um but it is a fascinating subject first thing i would say is like the guys in the ireland team at the moment are incredible athletes compared to your your standard person they're absolute freaks to get to that level yeah you have to be yes there's a difference in um, athletic genetic background I think the example that, that Niall sent on was Noanganita Wase from Australia so you could guess by the surname his dad is Fijian a former Fijian role player his mum is Italian I think so there's there's all sorts of, of players with those kind of backgrounds Pacific Island influenced playing rugby in that neck of the woods the Mary influence in New Zealand as well is really huge and um, Obviously, France has a massive population compared to Ireland, as well as a playing base, as does South Africa. You've got a bigger pool. You're more likely to come up with, with better athletes. So there are those inherent advantages that that um, other nations have over Ireland. 
I do still think there are very athletic specimens coming through Irish rugby. There's a number of young guys now. Um, you look at Ryan Baird, who's really freakish. I think Dan Sheehan has got something really special about him and has exploded onto the international scene. Um, there's other guys coming through, even younger props now. You're hearing about young Cameron Doak and Paddy McCarthy, who's Joe McCarthy's younger brother. These are massive, powerful props who who hopefully will, will push on through. And Irish rugby has to be certainly more alert to those and 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 make sure that those guys get opportunities to, to come through the system. At the same time, there's always better you can do. And something that we've discussed a lot around the pod is Irish rugby making sure that it opens it, its doors to everyone um, and goes out and finds athletes in other sports even. Like you look at, I looked at Dublin footballers over the year, the Limerick hurlers, the Limerick hurlers in particular. I go like, wow, imagine a couple of those guys um, someone had got their hands on them early, got them into rugby. They'd be playing for Munster now, without a doubt. Dublin footballers, there's guys there who were athletically certainly enough, good enough to to play rugby for Leinster, I think, and and maybe higher than that. So, yeah, rugby probably needs to <laughs> jostle its way in a little bit more. I think it needs to become more diverse. We've spoken about this an awful lot, um, because Ireland now is a very diverse nation. I look at the the football team. And I think it reflects society more uh, thoroughly than than the rugby team does. I think, you know, there's almost a stereotype of the Irish rugby player and you look at the team and it's, it's not very different to that. And I think attracting um, people who don't have a strong background in rugby or their families, their parents didn't play rugby or maybe even know what rugby was when they were growing up is is really important. Um, I think that would make, you know, a difference in, in, in exactly the domain we're, we're talking about. So... I guess, yeah, the exposing rugby to more people is a really important part of it. We just don't have the same depth of, of rugby athletes as, as those other nations we've mentioned. And it will be um, less likely that we continue to unearth them. But again, I would finish by pointing out that there are, in the current Ireland team, some guys who are really special athletes, who are powerful. And they showed that against South Africa very recently as well. They can be muscular and powerful. Maybe not... Um, as many you know, steppers or explosive runners or someone like Noanganito Wase who can explode up and it just it looks like he's just cantering past people and, and jogging past people but I think Irish rugby is doing pretty okay it can definitely get better mm-hmm. great question though yeah, yeah brilliant question because this is something that every sport in Ireland is now finally catching up with I think football is probably one of the football and athletics is probably the best examples of how um, a, a wider gene pool can really help athletically. If you look at the Irish football team, they've got eight players now in their senior team or around the senior team that are of Nigerian uh, heritage. Uh, a couple of them are playing Premier League football. If you look at Oma Bamadele, uh, Michael Obafemi, uh, Chiodose Ogbeni, they are all different profiles to what Ireland ever had at, at football. Even if And then if you turn to the athletic side, you know, you've got uh, uh, Moses, who is an incredible explosive sprinter who is now setting records and breaking Irish records They've because she has a different profile to, to what previous Irish sprinters would have had. And it's not that what we used to have is not good. It just means that it can be improved on by widening your player pool. Just before we finish up on this uh, conversation... How big of an impact do you think the Sevens have on this? Because if you look at, let's say, Jordan Conroy, for example, skill level, probably not at where, where he needs to be for 
union. But when it comes to the sevens, he's got the pace, the power, the athleticism. Are we losing some talent even just to the sevens? Well, no, like Jordan Conroy came into, he was a 15s player uh, first and foremost and, and came up um, through Tullamore, et cetera, that way. And and then, uh, you know, he was with a Connacht Academy for a little period, moved into sevens and it, it, it was perfect for him. You know, he's he's one of the best. He scored a try uh, this morning even and he will continue to score tries. So, I, I, yeah, I don't think sevens is, is drawing players away. They are if you see sevens as a way of getting people into the game, a shortened code, a chance to trial rugby without all of the rigmarole and the different roles of, of 15s because it is co- complex at times and and yeah that, that would be great if, th- if that happens a little bit more but um, I think getting players into 15s early is, is really important a good example now is Edwin Idogbo born in Cove to Nigerian parents he's absolutely thundered up through the ranks with, with Munster um, and he's just done a brilliant job and he's representing Cove Pirates he was playing for the Money very recently um, obviously his you know his parents come to Ireland and he's born in here and now he's part of the, the Irish rugby family and I think it'd be brilliant to see more of that and um, I suppose reflect society a little bit more thoroughly and he's a he's a phenomenal athlete you know you can you can see it every time he plays he's already mixing it with big South African packs and, and it would be a shock if he doesn't continue to progress up so hopefully Irish rugby continues to make progress in that way while it continues to hold its own the last thing I was going to say is I actually love that rugby has room for guys who aren't you know they won't be Olympian athletes everyone we watch on TV every weekend I'll, I'll remind you again is, is really physically strong and tough but I love when the guys who aren't really that athletic can make it and perform at the top level because you know they use their smarts they figure out a way to to be really effective and they max out their athletic potential as well I, I have respect for those men as well and women so just to finish off then there's a um, interprovincial match this weekend Leinster taking on Ulster um, big game for both sides do Ulster have enough to maybe put up a bigger fight than they usually do against Leinster yeah I think they'll they'll put up a, a really good fight um, as it increasingly become the, the case. Connor was onto us in the WhatsApp group and he was saying, you know, what are you kind of looking out for? He mentions the Rook and, and Ulster trying to slow up Leinster's flow. That's absolutely got to be part of, of the mix. Uh, he mentions Leinster's discipline issues allowing the, the Ulster mall into the game and, and that was kind of one of the big points that I was going to flag. You know, Ulster's game is predicated around that mall and, and they do kick a fair bit they've got an incredibly exciting backline, but they can be very pragmatic at times as well and, and Leinster will be focused on not allowing them those those opportunities to maul and and finish from from close range so that discipline area of it is going to be absolutely huge and then it often boils down to to big moments and who can take them and the last time up in in Kingspan you know Ulster missed a couple of chances obviously um, most famously not scoring in the left-hand corner they were missing Robert Balakoon and, and Aris Sexton got a chance and, and didn't quite take it and and that really could have been the, the winning of the game Leinster are really good at taking those those moments or winning those big moments in games and, and often it can come down to that often it's really hard to actually separate these two teams particularly in the last couple of years they've had some really narrow score lines Ulster have won obviously in the RDS and it was obviously not a, a first choice Leinster team but they showed they can do it on the on the road so I'm really excited for for this one it, like you know normally a week before Champions Cup previously we would have been 
almost winding down in this competition, Pro 14 as it was before, but it's so different now. Everyone's got so much to play for with the increased competition. And this is what we wanted all along. People haven't been talking about Europe this week and that wasn't the case before. So I'm enthused by that and um, I can't wait to see how this one goes. Let's let's hear your first prediction, so Enda, on the, on the Roby Weekly pod. My first prediction. I'm, on the Leinster game, I'm going to go with Leinster. I just... <laughs> I, I think they have like you said they are too good at attacking any sort of weakness that any opponent gives them and I think that's that's what really really good sides do is that they don't have to be absolutely incredible every single week but they just need to be better at the key moments of every game and I think that's what Leinster do best um, Ulster were actually the, the first and only province that I've seen live Huh, where was that? It was in Kingspan. It was not Kingspan at the time. Um, it, it was way, way back when I was in secondary school. They were the first first rugby game I was ever at. Not the last. I've been to international games, but I've just never visited the other provinces. Nice. So you're a good Donegal man supporting your province. Fair play. Yeah, that's it. Murray, thanks a lot. Thanks, Mill. One last one before we go, actually. I just wanted to mention Michael Halpenny emailed one of our members with a really detailed, well-researched uh, study into World Cup stuff, because we mentioned that in the pod. With, we discussed that with, with Owen on Wednesday. And he outlined his theory that you're better off having a really easy last pool game, and he, and he ran through all the World Cups of, of who's progressed. Um, so in that sense, I finished with a, a note of, of bad news from Michael Halpin. He says that Ireland playing Scotland in their final pool game is not good news. <laughs> Okay, we'll wait and see about that. It's a long wait, but we'll wait and see. That is our lot on this week's Rugby Weekly podcast. And if your rugby needs were not fulfilled to their fullest, then you should sign up for Rugby Weekly Extra in the member section of the 42. There you will get a Monday podcast with Bernard Jackman, a podcast on Wednesday with Owen Tulin, and you'll also get Murray's newsletter as well. Where do you get all that? Well, you head over to members.the42.ie to sign up and I promise you all your rugby desires will be met in full. The A-Team will be back with you on Monday, but until then, have a good weekend and we'll chat to you later. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy Rugby, rugby, weekly. Little reverse pass,